All right, let's start this series today. I'm, I'm excited about this. We're going to talk four weeks about family. We're calling it My Crazy Family, and I'll let you uh, announce through raising your hand here in a moment, but y'all got some crazy families. You already know that, uh, but we're going to talk a little bit about the dynamic of family. I'd love to pray for you today, and I'd love to pray for me today. I woke up early thinking, uh, you know, I've been a lead pastor for seven years. I have never, not once, done a series on family and the enemy not try and, and attack mine. Does that make sense? And so today I just woke up, I was like, you know what, I plead the blood of Jesus. Come on, how many of you know there's authority in that? And so I wanna pray for you because over these next few weeks, we're gonna dive into the conversation around family and the enemy is gonna do everything he can to stir up controversy and conflict and frustration and you name it, you fill in the blank. But I believe that beginning today that this series has the ability, because it's the word of God that never returns void, to transform your household. And not just to transform your household, but your children's household and your children's children's. Generationally, lives can be forever changed. Families can be forever changed. So Father, right now, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that the Holy Spirit is here with us. I thank you for the opportunity to share over the next few weeks about the dynamic of family. I pray, God, that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, God. I am humbled at this responsibility and opportunity. Lord, may the words that come from my mouth be spirit-led, spirit-empowered. Uh, these next few weeks is not an attempt to show how smart I am because I would fail at that. It's not an attempt to build myself up because that's not the desire of my heart or this house, but it's that you would get all the glory and that you would get all the honor. There are families that are needing a true, genuine intervention from God. And I'm praying that these next few weeks, God, that you would do just that. That what the enemy meant for evil, the destruction over households that the enemy has plotted and schemed to destroy the family unit, God, you would turn it around. And we would hear of miraculous stories of marriages that were signing divorce papers, but they've reconciled and now are on the right road of sons and daughters reconciling broken relationships with fathers and mothers. God, you can do this. Brothers and sisters that I haven't talked in a while. <clears throat> That's me, Lord. It's been too long since I've talked to my oldest brother. Help us, God, to lay down our pride, to move past the hurt, and to reconcile what you've ordained, the family. And so, God, in all things and with all things, we say thanks. And I believe that this series is going to transform families for good. In the most powerful name we pray, the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen and amen. Come on, one more time. Let's love on the Lord. Come on, let's do that together. Anytime I talk about family, I always try to lay out a couple of uh, realities or truths. Uh, these you probably already know, but let me give you four thoughts or nuggets to chew on. The first idea is this. When it comes to your immediate family, uh, you didn't choose that. You, you didn't choose the, now you chose the family you married into. Come on, y'all didn't know how crazy they were, but you made that decision. But you didn't choose the family of your origin, the family that you were born into. Um, oftentimes, you know, especially for uh, adolescents or teenagers that might be in the room or listening, you know, when you go through kind of that 
middle school into high school stage, you think, man, I'd love to be in any other family, right? Like, put me in another family because other families, you know, they stay up late and other families eat breakfast for dinner. Come on, my God. You know, like other families, you don't have to brush your teeth, you know, and Sour Patch Kids at 1130. And, but at the end of the day, God, God put you in your family for a purpose. In his mercy and his grace and his sovereignty, God ordained for you to be in that particular family. God gave you that mother, that father, that brother, that sister, that crazy cousin. You get the point. So I think it's important to remember that you didn't choose the family that you were born into. The other one is one that I try to remind my family of often, and I mean this wholeheartedly. Nobody in my family is as smart as me. Come on, can I get, can I get a witness? Come on, somebody, just be honest. Like, I am the smart, and I hope you're all listening online because I try to tell you all the time, if you just listen to me, I could fix the mess in our family. Come on. How many of you think that often? You're like, if you would just listen to me, I'm the smart. Okay, it's just me, I guess. Wow, this is awkward, you know? <laughs> You're like, if I could get to the family reunion, pick up the microphone, be like, all right, let's just have a quick conversation. Everybody zip it. Listen to me for a moment. We're going to fix all this nonsense real quick. And oftentimes we think that. We think, okay, I'm the smartest one in my whole family, and, and, and maybe that would be true. Uh, here's another idea, another thought to chew on. Not everybody has the same family experience. So think about this for a moment. Um, the dynamic of family is different. Uh, from one household to the next, from one resident to the next, from one side of this auditorium to the other, from this campus to our Germantown campus to our online campus, nobody has the same family experience. As a matter of fact, let's look at this word family for a moment. It's not an emotionally neutral word. When you talk about family, a variety of emotions surface. The idea of mother and father feels different from person to person. I, I lost my father to a heart attack when I was 13. So, you know, the, the perspective of father to me is different from someone that didn't have a dad for those 13 years. Or maybe you're older in life now and your father is still alive. Uh, maybe for some of you, you never met your mother. You never met your father. You think about brothers and sisters and the tension and all of those things. In this room, some of you are single and you're praying, God, send me a woman. Send me a man, right? Some of you are, are married or you're on your second marriage or third marriage or in-between marriages. Uh, some of you have biological children. Uh, some of you cannot have children. Some of you have adopted kids. Some of you have stepkids. Uh, some of you got kids you just want to give away. Come on, it's like, y'all come on over, you take all these kids, you know. Like, we just have a different dynamic of family. There is no same family experience. Does that make sense? And so whenever you try to tackle a conversation around family, you have to do so sensitively and with the other understanding that not everybody's on the same page with this. Everybody's got a different family dynamic. And then this last one just segues into the whole series, and this is so true. And don't let social media lie to you about this, all right? Because we only get to see the good on social media of families. All the picture-perfect portraits, you know, and everybody's just posing all great. You know, like Easter Sunday last week, of course, and everybody's posting their Easter family pictures, and everybody's smiling, and their teeth are all white, and their hair's all fixed, and all the children love each other. It's the pictures that weren't posted on Instagram. Come on now. Let's just tell the truth. Like, the brother kicked the little sister like 20 seconds before the picture. The dad was like, I promise you before God and all of these witnesses, if you don't take this family photo, you know. But at the end of the day, every family's got a little crazy in it. Every family does. This is just true. Every single one of us are one crazy family member away from being on the Jerry Springer show. That's just the honest truth. And I know that's not how you're going to show anymore, but you get the point. Like, 
everybody and every family's got a little crazy to it. And I often say that the thing that helps me just kind of process my family dynamic is knowing that your family is a little bit crazier than mine. Come on, that's true, right? All right, by a show of hands, how many of you would admit you got a little crazy in your family? Come on, let me see it. All right. How many of you would admit that you got a whole lot of crazy in your family? There we go. How, would you, how many of you would admit that you brought the crazy one from the family to church today? There we are. There it is. I, uh, I thought I'd have a little fun this week on social media. I, I don't always, you know, open it up for like, hey, Q&A. But I said, all right, we're doing this new series called My Crazy Family, you know, comment below or send me a, a private message on some of the crazy family things in your household. Like, what are some of the things that make your family so crazy? I got too many of these, by the way. And again, it's, I just smiled. I was like, thank God we ain't them. Come on now. Um, but I, I picked out, some of them were deep. It was like, well, that's not crazy. That's cray cray. And there's a big, that's a whole nother series, right? You know, like, anyway, but I, I picked two or three. I'll try to do this each week in the series. The first one's a little longer, but I thought it was hilarious. They sent it and said, uh, well, here they go. They sent it and said, since our son was really small, since our son was little, uh, we would tell him that the noise on the side of the road, so you know that road rumble that you hit on the side, so you go off the road a little bit, you hit the road rumble. They would tell him that that was the sound of whales talking. And that seems normal. The problem is, is that he was terrified of that sound, and now, and the kid's a little bit older, tells people that the whales are talking even when they're traveling in landlocked states. So every time they're there, it's like, yeah, it's just the whales talking. Could you imagine this kid on another family's trip? And they hit the inside. I'll tell you exactly what that is. That's the whales talking. <laughs> anyway, here's one. I, lo I love this one. And this is probably about 80% of y'all from the country. Come on, I'm about to tell you, this is just the truth. I love it. My cousin stashed a beer in his jacket pocket in case he got thirsty, but he was at my uncle's funeral. Come on now. <laughs> I love Nothing says like rest in peace in a Coors Light. Come on, this is like, Ch -ch -ch. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, one more, you got time for one more? All right, this one, I thought, Jesus, take the wheel. Watch this, this is true. My parents have 16 kids and that didn't shock y'all. <laughs> 16 kids and 40 grandchildren. And then I love what they said. Enough said. Like, they're just crazy <laughs> all up in that. Immediately when I saw that, I thought, do y'all not own a TV? Come on, mom and dad. Like, get a little TV. That would help. 16 kids. All right. On the count of three, I want everybody to say this. You ready? My family doesn't have to be crazy. One, two, three. My family doesn't have to be crazy. Let's say it again. This time I want you to say it uh, as a declaration, like a, an honest you know, just anthem that my family doesn't have to be crazy. We don't have to, we don't have to be like the world, act like the world, behave like the world. My family doesn't have to be crazy. Ready? One, two, three. My family. You don't have to be crazy. Crazy in your family is a choice. And I hope that over these next few weeks we can work through some of this. Let me give you, I think this will be the theme verse for the entire series. It's 1 Peter 4, verse number 8. And I'll kind of break down the first part here and put it in the context specifically of our conversations over the next couple of, of weeks here, above all, above all. So above all the craziness, above all the fighting, above all the financial pressure, uh, above all the dirty dishes, come on now, above all the unfolded laundry, above all the busy schedules, above all the, you sleep on the couch tonight, above, above all of that, right? Above all, keep what? Loving one another. 
and I didn't highlight this word earnestly, but this word earnestly, if you look it up in the, the dictionary, it will be defined as an intentional conviction. Like I, I am convicted that above all, that regardless of what happens to us, regardless of what happens in us, above all of that, I am going to continue to love. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. And we see that through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. And we too can share and show that same type of love that above all. And, there, and again, let's go back to the dynamic of family. There are a lot of above all scenarios. And some of these are deep and painful. And they go back decades. And when I think about family, family can bring you the greatest joy. But family, the people that are closest to you, they can also bring you the greatest pain the greatest hurt, but above all of that, can you continue to love one another because that love will cover a multitude of sins. All right, so today I'm going to show you all four weeks. Today we're going to talk about my crazy family. Next week I'm going to talk about my crazy wife. I mean, I'm going to talk, sorry, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about crazy spouses. Come on, somebody. We're going to talk about crazy kids, talk a little bit about parenting and, the, and I'll also talk to, to kids about your parents, all right, so that'll be helpful. And then the last week, we're going to talk about crazy money because money is a big pressure in the household. So let's talk about crazy family today. I want to give you, and I hope you're taking notes, there's a little uh, note card in the back seat pocket that, in front of you and uh, Germantown as well. I want you to take that out. Take a couple notes because I'm going to give you three decisions today that will immediately change your family. So when we talk about crazy family, let me give you three decisions that you can make today, like right now, that will forever change your family. Uh, that, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty lofty statement, but it is factual. If you make these three decisions, regardless of the, the dynamic of your family, the challenges within your family, the struggles within your family, the hurt within your family, you make these three decisions today, it will immediately change your family forever. Here's the first one, and I think you'll understand and appreciate this because this is what we do, it's who we preach. But you decide to put God as the priority in your family, and everything changes. Everything changes. Now, I'm not, I'm not preaching at you. I'm not preaching down to you. I'm just having an honest conversation that we have too many families that understand what it's like to have other things as a priority in their home. Again, this isn't a condescending message. I hope it provides a little bit of conviction. But, but come on, we know what it's like for work to be the priority in the house. We know what it's like for education to be the priority in the home. We know what it's like for sports to be the priority in the house. True story, I know a guy at a church that we served at years ago, married with children, and his wife left him and divorced him because he watched every college football game every single weekend and refused to spend time with the family. Sports became an idol, became a god. It got in the way and the family separated. We know what it's like, and again, I'll talk to parents a lot today, but, and grandparents, we know what it's like when the extracurricular activities, and they're not a bad thing. In the right place at the right time, I think that there should be extracurricular activities. There should be opportunities, you know, for your kids and your grandkids to participate in yourself as well, to have a hobby, but we know what it's like when that extracurricular becomes the priority. It becomes the God of the house. Does that make sense? So let me ask you a question then, and this is rhetorical, and there's going to require some, some internal assessment and then conversation 
with your home, but what would it look like for God to be the most important thing in your family? What would it look like if God became the most important priority in your home? Now, I think immediately some things, you know, surface to our mind and our heart. Well, we'd be a family that prays. Yes. We'd be a family that reads scripture. Yes. Uh, some might even say, well, we, we would make church attendance a priority. I think that's a part of it. I don't think it's like the thing. I mean, we know, we know a lot of families that went to church together and they still split. Right? But what would, what it would be like for you all if God became the most important priority? It did mean that the other things never mattered. It just meant that what was most important was God. And I, the, one, the one challenge that I have, and even somewhat of a fear, and I think it's a healthy fear that will keep me humble, is I'm not up here telling you that we got to figure it out, that we do it right all day, every day. I mean, we're, we're humans, okay? We, we, we are parents, and our children are, are still smaller, and I know that they're going to enter into adolescence and puberty, and Lakeland's right there. We're having these conversations. I hear parents say, well, wait till they're in high school. I rebuke that. I don't speak that over my kids. I think that middle school and high school years could be the best years. There's going to be challenges. So we're, we're learning as we grow in our parenting, but my son loves sports, and I love that about him. And he wants to play everything and be everything and participate in everything. And so we had to have a hard conversation a few weeks ago about some of the things that he wants to participate in. And I'm not trying to be critical of my son's athletic ability. I mean, I don't see this incredibly bright future as some superstar athlete. It might be there. I mean, I am his father. Come on, somebody. But, okay, I, I digress. But I've also told him, like, I don't care how many home runs you can hit. If you don't love Jesus, what does that matter? Now, you don't have to help me preach today. That's all right, because I can preach. I, when COVID happened, I preached to an empty room for months, so I'm all right. I don't care how many touchdowns you can throw. If you can't quote any scripture, where's the authority in that? So I sat him down the other day. I was like, I love that you want to you play baseball and you want to play golf and you know, you, you want to go, Kimberly, she's, she, y'all need to pray for Kimberly because he said the other day, he's like, I want to play football, you know? So I just pushed him down. <laughs> just pushed him down. I was like, you can't even, you want to play, no, I didn't do that. That's, <laughs> thought about it. I just tackled him, you know? <laughs> so he told Kimberly, he's like, I want to play football. And so now, so anyway, I told him, I said, listen, cool, but we are a God first family. We are a church first family. And at the end of the day, are you hearing what I'm trying to say? God is the priority. I'll unpack that here in a moment. Let me show you a verse here. It's a foundational verse. I I think many of you have adopted this. Uh, Many of you need to adopt uh, verse number 15 here of this particular uh, story. It's it's powerful. It's It's written from a guy named Joshua. Quick context. God taps Moses on the shoulder to lead the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. And so God sends the plagues. You know, many of you know the story. God sends the plagues. You read all about this in Exodus if this is an unfamiliar story to you. He sends the plagues to Egypt to get the attention of Pharaoh. Eventually, Pharaoh lets the children of Israel go. They're free, but they wander in the desert for 40 years. Eventually, Moses dies, and now God taps Joshua on the shoulder to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. That's a... 30-second recap of a 40-year journey. Now Joshua has led the children of Israel into the promised land. They're in the promised land. And this is a land where milk and honey flows. A land with, let's uh, bring it into like 2021 context, all right? 
a land with the best school systems, a land with the best homes. All the kids are in honor classes. They all go to a private school. They live in the best neighborhood. They got the best restaurants. Come on, Jim and Nick's just moved into town. Come on, somebody. Like, this is, this is like that kind of place to live, right? But the people have now become comfortable. And what the children of Israel in the promised land were experiencing is what so many of us, JC and Kimberly included, is that we feel like or we think that we only need God when we need God. Can I tell you something? We always need God. Not just when there's trouble and difficulty and hostility and pain and grief, but even when there's joy and celebration, right? Like we always need God, but our minds tend to move towards, well, I only need God when I need God. You always need God. But now the children of Israel have become comfortable and they've slipped back into some bad habits. So Joshua says this, he's giving a speech much like I'm doing today. And he says this on behalf of God. He says, I gave you land on which you did not toil. I gave you land on which cities you did not build. You live in them and you eat. You eat at the Jim and Nick's, come on, and the olive groves that you didn't even plant. Watch verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all, somebody say faithfulness. Faithfulness, throw away the gods that your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And that's my heart. My heart is not for you to have perfect church attendance. My heart is that you and your family serve the Lord. And then he says this, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then today you have to choose for yourselves. Only you can decide. He says, you got to choose, right? You got to choose whom you're going to serve, right? And then, and then here it is. We're almost there. It's, it's the foundational verse. He says, are you going to choose the gods that your ancestors serve or the gods of the Amorites whose land you're living? But here it is. You ready? He says, but as for me and for my house... We will serve the Lord. Let's read this highlighted last phrase here on three. One, two, three. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is the most powerful three-pointed statement that anybody could declare. That as for me and for my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Now, I want you to see what Joshua does. Let me break this down. The first thing he says is, as for me, as for me. So he says, I, I need to lead by example. So this point here, regardless of your family dynamic, whether you've been married 20 years or you've been single for 20 years, you've got kids or you're praying for children, that doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you've got to make a personal commitment, a personal choice that as for me, as for me, and if nobody else serves the Lord, if nobody else goes with me, I'm still going to follow Jesus because I have made a commitment. And through that, watch this, parents, grandparents alike, listen, you lead by example. If we've learned anything in our parenting, you know, responsibilities, it's that our kids never really do what we say. They do what they see. Does that make sense? Now, there's authority in the house, and they'll listen to what we say, but they, they are imitators of what they see. So if I tell my son or daughter, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, and then I go and do that, they're going to be an imitator of what they see, not an imitator of what I said. I can't tell you how many times in counseling here at Go Church through our life back counseling and even through some pastoral counseling where we have people that come in and they talk about the challenges of the family, and they will say something like, I keep telling them not to do that. And I'm like, but you were doing that. 
you, you are the example. Whenever you fly on an airplane, they give you that speech up front, right? And they're like, in, in case this plane goes down, oxygen mask will descend. And they're like, but don't worry. It'll never go down, right? And you just pray. And what do they say? The adult put the oxygen mask on first to lead by example. So this starts with you. you got to practice what you preach is the point that I'm trying to make. You can't walk around your household telling everybody else to do something that you're not, you're not willing to do. Does that make sense? So you can't walk around and be like, y'all need, all y'all need to pray. Okay, just lead by example. The example of you leading your family in prayer, your own life, well, then they will mimic that. Now he says this. Now, not just for me, but then he says, and my house. Now he's leading by authority. And I don't want to stand on a soapbox here, and I don't want to preach, to any, preach down to any particular group of people, but I just want to tell you, parents, you are the authority. You are the boss. And I'm not saying that you're the tyrant and you walk around whoops, cracking whips, you know, like, listen to me, but you are the authority. Too many parents are too consumed with trying to be the BFF of their sons or daughters that they then fall back into this trap of you're not even the authority in your home. Listen to me. And I know there are some children in the room. You need to hear this. Kids, you ain't the boss. Come on, somebody. Like, you're not the boss. Now, I grew up in the old school family. I've told you this before. And in the old school, we didn't get time out. We got beat down. Come on, somebody. My mom always said, don't make me count to three. One, two, get up. Right? Like the authority. And now we've got parents that are just like, hey, little Johnny. Dude, John, little, don't do that. Johnny's 14. Good Lord. I, I don't know. It, it blows my mind. And again, everybody parents different. I get that. But man, you going to Walmart. Come on, somebody. You want entertainment about crazy families. Going to Walmart. Some of the, some of the behavior of these children. And every one of you have said it, if they were my kids. Come on, be honest. Raise your hand if you've ever said If they were my kids. Why? Because you lead by authority. So, again, I know in this room and, and online in our Germantown campus, we have, we have teachers that have high demands of education. Uh, we have professors. We have bosses. We have coaches. So this isn't, this isn't like a rebuke to any of those groups. But you're not the authority of that house. The mom and the dad are. And so if you are a coach or a teacher, thank God for you and we pray for you, but you have to know your role in helping that parent raise that child because many of you spend just as much time, if not more time with that kid than the mom or dad, but you're not the final say. Uh, when I was youth pastoring years ago, uh, there was a girl in the 11th grade, her name was Hannah. I'm just telling you the story for context, uh, but she was on the high school lacrosse team and, and she was fantastic, uh, really one of the, the A players on the team. And so we were having a massive event that weekend, this big youth event where we were going uh, to, to Tennessee to be with about 20 other thousand teenagers. And so Hannah had worked to raise money to go on the trip. And two weeks before, the coach said, well, we've got a big tournament that we're going to enter and, and you got to play. Well, Hannah's mom said, you know, I'll, I'll let you decide. You get to make the choice. But the mom always led by example. She said, you get to decide. So Hannah went back and said, hey, I, I think I'm going to skip the tournament. And the coach said, then you're off the team. Okay, like, like I kind of get like 
somewhat of that. And Hannah said, well, I guess I'm off the team. I'm off the team. And she was crying. She came to me. She was crying. And she was like, I, I can't believe it. I got kicked off the team. She went on the event. She, she radically got filled with the Holy Spirit. She gave her heart to the Lord. That next season, she went out and tried out again, made the team, and became captain of the team, went on to college with a partial scholarship in lacrosse. Listen to me. That's a unique story, but she led her life with the example and the authority and having a mom, a single mom, that implemented that in the home so that when she was faced with a tough decision, and I just, I'm blown away by how much time, and let's go back to the whole point that I'm trying to make here, of how much time we invest into things that at the end of the day really don't matter and how very little time we spend on things that do matter. Can I tell you what matters? Everybody lean in for a second and I'll give you another thought here. You know what really matters? Eternity. Eternity really matters. Right place for education, right place for work and to get overtime, right place for you know, sports and extracurriculars, but eternity matters. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose their soul? I mean, at the end of the day, come on, families. You've got, what, what would it look like? What's it going to look, what sacrifices do you have to make in your schedule, in your day, uh, in the way that you parent, in the conversations that you have? You know, I, I, again, I only know my upbringing and then the upbringing of our two kids, but London's a little smaller, so we're not having a lot of these conversations just yet in terms of, how busy Lakeland is becoming. But I tell them often, son, it's not rejection. It's protection. It's protection. I am protecting you from worshiping a God that does not matter. I'm still giving you the opportunity, right? And again, and I, I haven't had to say this yet, but like, I'm like, bud, like, this is my house. I pay the bills here. And again, maybe this is just a little old school upbringing, but... My mama used to tell me, until you pay the bills, it's my way or the highway, Jack. Come on, like, how many, parents, how many of you grew up with parents like that? Like, you know, my mom would say, this is my house for me and my house. My mom would say, you're not bringing those friends into this house. You're not bringing those drugs into this house. You're not bringing that music into this house. You're not bringing that garbage into this house. And I think too many parents are just like, well, it'll be okay. No, you are the authority. And when little Johnny grows up, he can pay his own bills. But until then, mama said, or daddy said, can I get like 100 people that would just encourage the word today? Like, stand your ground on the authority. Show some tough love. Well, I just want them to like me. They will love you because you tough love them. And again, I'm not talking about the cracking of the whip and being incredibly unfair. But everything else becoming a god. And all of these things, all of these things only cause us to get caught in the undercurrent of culture and society. And now we're growing up in a generation, in a world that lacks moralities and ethics and values and you name it. Why? Because we don't have families that are leading by example and leading by authority. Does that make sense? Please tell me that makes a little bit of sense. Some, some of you are listening online or you're sitting in one of our campuses and you're incredibly frustrated. Good. Good. Because you need to hear somebody tell you the God's honest truth that your way is not working. The ways of the world is not working. The enemy is after families. 
He's after the soul of your marriage, the soul of your spouse, the soul of your children. And if you don't make a decision to change the game, you'll be another statistic. I don't want my family to be another statistic, and I don't want us to be crazy. So here's the decision that I've made. As for me, as for JC, I'm going to serve the Lord. I told our team in, in January as we kicked off this year, I said, I refuse to be a full-time pastor and a part-time Christian. I'm not doing that. I'm a full-time follower of Jesus. That's my number one responsibility. Does that make sense? And as for my house, the house that got the greatest ministry I have, the greatest responsibility I have is to be husband to Kimberly and dad to Lake and London. God forbid that I lead thousands of people to a relationship with Jesus Christ, and yet my family doesn't know him because I didn't lead by example, and I refuse to use my authority. Okay, does that make sense? All right, number two, the second decision that if you make, it will immediately change your family. You've got to decide to put in the work to make it work. You've got to make that choice. Again, family means a lot of different things, and there's a lot of situations that would cause people to make decisions like separation and, and divorce and not speaking to an immediate family member or a relative. But listen to me. You will never luck your way into a healthy marriage. You will never luck your way into your adult children wanting to come home to visit you on the holidays. That, that you don't luck your way into that stuff. Every single healthy relationship requires effort. It all requires effort. It requires hard work. That's why there's a part of me that sometimes I'll, I wonder, like when I see someone, well, and there are, you've got more stories than I've got, but people will leave this family to go be a part of that family. I'm like, man, it's going to take it would have taken less work to work things out with this family than the work it's going to take to figure out this family. So you, you have to decide if, if the commitment is above, above all. Above all, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to love, earnestly love, right? Because love covers a multitude of sin. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, right? So now I've got to be intentional about putting in the effort, about putting in the work, I could stay here all day and give you different areas that I think you and I, JC especially, need to do a better job of putting in the effort, but let me give you three. The first one is scheduling. If there was a, and hear my heart, if there was a, a silver lining in COVID, it would have been that the whole world shut down and you stopped being so busy for a season, for a moment. Not everybody, but most of the world. There was a period of time with quarantine and all that that there was nothing on your schedule. And I told Kimberly, and again, I don't ever want to see COVID again. We call it done in the name of Jesus. My heart grieves over those that have lost loved ones. But if there was a silver lining, I spent more time with my wife and kids during COVID season than all of the years previously combined. And you're going to find out real quick just how healthy your family is when you get locked in together for like a year. And I told Kimberly, I, I'll never forget, I was like, when all this is over, I'm never going back to being so busy. Now I have to repent. Because JC and many of you, we're right back into the bad scheduling habits. You got to put in a better effort of scheduling. And listen to me. It's not just about the quantity of time, but the quality time. 
So the season that we're in, man, our kids go to bed, they go to bed early. I mean, they're, they're in elementary school, kindergarten and fifth grade. So, you know, like by the time I get off of work, out of the office, and I get home, I've got maybe two hours, two and a half hours of time with my wife and kids. Well, my kids, Kimberly and I, we get one-on-one -on -one time after they go to bed, and you understand that, TV and talk, and she'll kiss me every now and again. Come on, somebody. <laughs> but two hours with the kids, and, and how, what do we do? We're just on our phones. Facebook doesn't matter. Instagram stories don't matter. What matters is your little kids. And every one of you that have grown children, you tell parents like me, they got smaller ones, don't blink. And yet, what, what do parents do, especially in this like society? We're consumed with social media, consumed with everybody else's world. And your wife and your husband and your children are starving for you to schedule better. Spend some time, some one-on-one -on -one time. Here, here's another one. You got to work on your communication skills. You got to put some effort in with this. Some of you are always like angry. I'm always, I'm just mad. And listen to me, I know, I know you can control your anger and I can prove it. I know it because I've been there. I'm angry, right? I'm upset with the family, and I'm like, I'm the man of my house. <laughs> I'm the authority, and I'm mad. Come on, Dad, you've been there. And then my phone will ring, and I'll pick it. I'm like, hello? Isn't that amazing that I can control it just like that? Figure out your communication skills, your verbal skills. Stop talking down to your children. Build them up. Stop talking negatively in front of other people about your husband or your wife. Your nonverbal skills. You know, when your spouse is talking, Kimberly will say this to me often. She's like, she calls me Jake. It's a term of endearment. She's like, Jake, are you listening? Jake, are you listening? I'm like, yeah, baby, I'm listening. She's like, I and she'll say this. I need you to listen to me with your eyes. Look at me. Right? Little London now, when she wants my attention, she'll come in the room and she'll go. She's six years old. She'll go. Some of you need to work on your written skills. Stop trying to solve the family's problems over email and text messaging. Because you can't read tone. You got to put in the work on scheduling and communicating. You got to put in the work on showing affection. When's the last time you just showed up with flowers for your wife? When's the last time you just showed up with master's tickets for your husband? Come on now. I can tell you when. 2000 and never. When, when, when's the last time you sat down on the bedside of your grandson or granddaughter or child and you said, I just want to tell you I love you. I'm really, I'm really proud of you. Dads, you know the greatest gift that you can give your wife and kids is not more technology, not the newest iPhone, whatever, with 13 cameras. It's affection. Affection. You ever heard the, the phrase, in the zone? Like, I'm in the zone? Uh, look at this for a second. I got to fly through this, but uh, I did have a chance to go to the practice round of the Masters this year on Wednesday. It's a bucket list experience. And so this year, I'm caught up in all of it because of, you know, the experience of being there. So you know when a player gets in the zone. So yesterday, Saturday's at the Masters, um, Hideki Matsuyami, before the rain uh, came in, 
he was playing one under par. So they had a rain delay. He goes, sits in his car for an hour. The translator, they are having a conversation in the interview, goes, sits in his car for an hour. After an hour and 15 minute rain delay, he comes back out and this, this man from Japan, the first ever Japanese golfer on the men's tour to lead after a master's round, he shoots six under par after the rain break. And the dude's in the zone. Now I'm pulling for Jordan Spieth, but this guy's in the zone. And you know what it's like to be in the zone like this, like man, you're just clicking, right? Like you're moving, you know what it's like to be in the zone. So John Maxwell talks about the zone and you need to determine where you are in the zone. Are you putting in effort? Here's the first one, the coasting zone. I just do as little as possible. A lot of families are this way. I just, I just do as little, I do as little as possible. Here, here's the next one, it's, and this is dangerous, it's the comfort zone. So I do what I've always done. Fellas, don't get comfortable. Don't, and I'm not talking about just being comfortable around them, but don't get lazy with your wife and with your children, regardless of how many years you have or have not been married. Don't, don't fall into the comfort zone. Well, I'll just do what I've always done. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. Does that make sense? Here's the zones I, I want you to move to. It's the challenge zone. So now I'm attempting to do what I haven't done before. Maybe some of you will go to counseling. Maybe some of you will sit down and apologize for not leading by example or leading by authority. So now I'm going to try to do something that I've never done before. And this is big because you're making a decision to change the game for your family. But then ultimately, maybe you can live in the creative zone. And this is, I attempt to think what I've never thought before. This is Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So now here, you start to process emotionally and mentally and even spiritually. I don't have to have a crazy family. You can attempt to think what you've never thought before. And I just want to speak this over your family. I'll give you one more thought and I'll pray for you. If you make this decision to learn to forgive each other, right, which is this one right here, you learn to make the decision on putting in the work and the effort. You make the decision of placing God as the priority. The best days of your family are ahead of you in the name of Jesus. And it ends with this one for the day. You gotta learn to forgive each other. I need to, I need to work on this one. How many more family holidays gonna pass? You don't even talk to them. I'm not, and again, I know what you're thinking. Well, you don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that when they were crucifying Jesus on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I doubt that the family member that has hurt you with that deep wound, the way that they have even realizes how deep and bad they hurt you. Just forgive them. They don't, they don't know what they're doing. Uh, Jesus said this in, in Matthew. He said, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Watch. And every house divided against itself will not stand. The enemy wants there to be conflict and tension, frustration, anger. And here's one, and bitterness. Let's talk about that in Hebrews. Make every what? There's the word again. Make every effort to live in what? Wouldn't this be nice? Peace is the counter to crazy. So make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. Thank you for your grace right? And that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble. Yesterday I was walking in my backyard 
And I noticed because of the springtime and all the, you know, the, the sprouting of, you know, flowers and weeds and all that, I had some weeds in the yard and it took me four or five minutes to walk around and just pull up the weeds. The problem is, is that if you don't, if you don't handle that bitter root, it will grow stronger and more entrenched. And small roots can be uprooted easy, but bigger roots take a shovel or a backhoe. So, so here, here's the advice, you ready? Settle matters quickly. Just, just handle it. I think if I've, if I've gotten better at anything in our marriage and relationship is I'm trying to, I'm trying to own it, right? The Bible says this in Ephesians, don't go to bed angry. So what if, what if you just practice that? You learn to forgive each other, right? And you said, okay, I'm gonna handle this quick because I don't want the root of bitterness to grow deeper. I'm not gonna go to sleep tonight angry or upset. I said something I shouldn't have said or I responded in a way I shouldn't have uh, re responded. I'm gonna forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. I don't have to give a record of all the wrong they've ever done. I'm just gonna handle it quick and we're gonna, we're gonna nip it. We're gonna nip it. We're gonna fix it now so that we can enjoy the beauty of family. Because again, the enemy just wants to divide and conquer. And beat at the foundation of your marriage, beat at the foundation of your family, and hopefully you will just completely fall apart. All right, here's the closing question, then I'll pray for you. It's rhetorical, but you think about it. Is what you, is what you are currently doing working? Is it working? Or is there a decision that you need to make? Is it working? Because if it is, you just spent 43 minutes listening to me about nothing that really mattered. But maybe there's a decision that you need to make to invite God at the center of your home, to put in the work to make it work, or to forgive. Which, by the way, God has forgiven you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Jesus, come on. Touch families today, Lord. Touch homes today. Thank you for that. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. God, I pray, let's go back to this thought. And I'm not going to drag this out, just real quick. Let's go back to, as for me. So God, it starts personally right here. Inviting you into our lives personally, into our hearts. And then as for my house. So God, it starts with you. So we give you our life today. We ask that you would forgive us of our sins. God, I know that 112 people just asked you in their heart at Easter, but maybe there's someone here today that just says, I need a fresh start. Like, I, I need, I need, a, I need a, a new moment. Like, I, I just need to give God a chance to be king of my life, and the center of my heart. And if that's you today, here's the prayer. God, forgive me. Come into my mind. Come into my heart. Make me new. Forgive me of my sins. When I leave this place, I want to be a new person. I need help. That's our job as the church. We're going to help you in that process of discipleship. And then let that decision to put you as Lord affect every other decision. But especially in my house. God, I pray revival breaks out in households. I pray over marriages that there would be fresh fire of passion, renewed strength, healthy commitments, better communication, wiser scheduling, a lot more affection. I pray that for those that have grandkids or children that they're raising, help them with the Holy Spirit to give them wisdom with the greatest responsibility. Give them strength. I pray for single moms and single dads. God, I know how difficult it is to raise children with a helpmate. So I pray extra grace over single parents today that are raising their children. 
I pray for those that are waiting on the right one, their future spouse. In this waiting season, God, strengthen their relationship with you. And we just give you thanks. We give you glory and we give you honor. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Come on, let's give Jesus the highest praise. Can we do that?